Well, good morning. Good morning. It's really good uh, for you to invite me. Uh, I feel really, really privileged. And I was going to say it's good to see some old friends, but that would be a little bit rude. So it's good to see friends again. And many people over the last uh, couple of years who've encouraged me, who are sitting here this morning. It's really good to be with you. Well, I've got the privilege of uh, just sharing God's Word. And I understand you're starting a series in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And if you've got a Bible, you might want to follow me, otherwise just listen. But I'm going to read from Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 1 uh, reads like this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate, the government of, was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etruria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all of the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, We've got Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Should we just pray uh, briefly 
Our God and Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Open our ears to hear what you've got to say to us. Open our eyes to see the truth of it. Open our hearts to receive it. Release our wills to do what you want us to do, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, I wonder, have you ever been uh, the bridesmaid at a wedding, the chief bridesmaid at the wedding? Or maybe you've been a, a best man at the wedding, or maybe you've been really heavily involved in some way in somebody's wedding. It's a great privilege to, if, if you have, as, as I have been on a couple of occasions. But you know, I've got a little secret in case you ever get invited to do it. The little secret is it's not about you. It's not about you. It's all about the bridegroom and the bride. It's all about, it's their day. You know, you might have spent a long time preparing. You might look the bee's knees. You might be look really smart. You might give a fantastic speech. But ultimately, it's not about you. It's all about the bridegroom and the bridesmaid. You know, your job is to do your job. And then get off the stage, out of the limelight, and not outdo the people who are the center of the wedding. You know our man, John the Baptist here, he got that. In fact, he refers in another uh, book of the Bible about that. That he's, he was just a friend of the bridegroom who was attending. And he was uh, waiting and listening for the bridegroom to come. And when he hears his voice, he's just delighted and his job's done. His job's done. He's introduced the bridegroom and he's off, off stage. He just wanted to point people to Jesus Christ and then get out of the way. Get out of the way. Look, I just want us to look at a, a few things from this passage. Uh, just three things. And then just ask ourselves uh, some questions uh, as a result of them. And I don't have a, the, the, the clicker, so if we could just click on to the next slide. There we are. Just want to have us to look at John the Baptist, the man, the man. You probably know that he is found in every single gospel account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because of the part he played in the story of Jesus Christ. The gospels are about Jesus Christ. But John the Baptist plays quite an important and significant and pivotal role. Not in his own story, but in the story of Jesus Christ. He's an outstanding figure. He says and does some outstanding things. But he's away in the desert doing most of it. He's in obscurity, relatively speaking. Why? Because he recognizes that the focus isn't on him. The focus has got to be on his mission. It's got to be on his message. But ultimately, his focus is on Jesus Christ, the person he's come to introduce. He does his job, and then he moves off stage. Simply speaking, he's been sent to go ahead of Jesus Christ so that all the focus goes on Jesus Christ. And that's what you'll find in the book of Luke. All the focus becomes on Jesus Christ. Well, we know a little bit about his birth. It was quite a remarkable birth. If you turn back two chapters to chapter one, you'll find that, uh, that um, an angel was involved and God's intervention was involved, and he had a very, very godly uh, mother and father, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And uh, he, she, um, 
Elizabeth was quite old when uh, she conceived, so it was really a bit of a miracle. And uh, John the Baptist was a much longed-for and much prayed-for child who eventually came ago- along. And, and the angel said, you know, this, this uh, John is going to be a joy and delight to you, as, as most children are. Many children, all your children are. And, uh, but this child is going to be full of the Holy Spirit before he's actually born. But after that remarkable birth, we understand that, that John was, was a little bit of an odd character in some ways. Um, he lived quite an austere life. Um, he lived in the desert for most of the time we would see him as an adult. He, he dressed strangely with uh, camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist. And his food was a bit unusual. I don't know what your tastes are like, but locusts and wild honey is what the Bible tells us. A little bit strange, you might say. And people went out of the city of Jerusalem and from the region roundabout, and they went out to hear what he had to say. No surprises here. He's called the Baptist. Why? Because he baptized uh, people. He baptized people with water as they came to him, turned around, repented, and uh, began to follow him. And I guess it was a little bit unusual because Jewish people in those days didn't tend to get baptized. They allowed people who weren't Jews to become Jews and get baptized, but it was unusual for Jewish people to be baptized. So there's something different. There's something different about John the Baptist and what he's, he's got. Well, you know, he did gather some, um, some followers, some disciples. They called him teacher. But, you know, we find in John chapter 1 that when Jesus comes along, he's really happy that his followers stop following him and start following Jesus. You see, he's got it right from the beginning. He knows it's not about him. He knows that it's his job is all about Jesus. Well, he's known uh, for being a courageous, fearless speaker. You know, I, I didn't start my sermon saying, you brood of vipers. But of course, uh, that's how John uh, records uh, how he speaks. Because he's got the truth And he gives it straight. He's no crowd pleaser. He doesn't water down his message. He doesn't sugarcoat the message that he's got. He gives it to them straight. And we got a bit of that uh, this morning. He He's willing to speak truth, as it were, to power. He confronts the hypocrisy of religious people. He confronts the greed of those uh, tax collectors. And the ruthlessness of the soldiers. And the immorality of even the King Herod himself. He's bold, he's strong, he's courageous. And as we read, it lands him up in a bit of trouble because he gets put in prison, as we read in verse 20 there. And if we read on in our Bibles, we find that his head, his head goes. He loses his life. Why? Because he's fiery. He's unflinching virtually for the whole of his life. That's the sort of character he is. We saw a bit of that as we read. But we also see in him this sense of um, being servant-hearted, a sense of humility. You know, he denies that he's the Messiah. Just think, all those crowds following him, he could have said that he was the Messiah, but it was clear he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the Christ. He says he's only the messenger. There's one coming after him who's greater than him. And he fully accepts that role. He's quite happy not to be the center of his message We read that uh, he said that he's not worthy uh, to take the straps of the sandals 
uh, and untie and stoop down and untie them. He's not worthy to do the job of the lowest servant in that society, which was to deal with the feet of your visitors. He says, in comparison to the Lord Jesus, I'm not even worthy to take that particular role. We find in Matthew that uh, he, he didn't want to be baptized. Sorry, he didn't want to baptize Jesus. He wanted to be baptized by Jesus because he realized he was in the presence of someone much, much greater than him. He, he recognized that all he could do was baptize people's bodies with water. But as we read, Jesus is coming. And he can baptize you with the Holy Spirit, your whole person. John records this. What, words which have been very, very powerful to me. Uh, spoken at uh, Charlie and Sophie's wedding when, when I was there. It was many years ago. John the Baptist said, He must increase the Lord Jesus but I must decrease because I recognize. So that we, we see a sense of his, his fieriness and his boldness and his bluntness perhaps. But we see a sense of the fact that he knows the, the place that he's been put, the position he's been asked, and he's really comfortable with that. Next uh, slide, people. Don't know if you're a, a, a watcher uh, of a television program called The Voice. Something's coming up. No, it seems to have gone. It's not coming through. It's not an animation, but never mind. The Voice. I don't know if you've heard of that. The Voice is a, a TV program uh, to find singing talent uh, who, haven't, who haven't got a recording contract for themselves. I don't watch much television, but I think this is quite, quite good fun because I don't know if you know it, but the, the judges have their backs turned to the potential singers. So they're not looking at what they look like. They're not looking how old they are. They're not looking at their, their, the drama of it all. All they're doing is listening for the voice. So you can imagine if you're very impressive looking. Imagine if you've got a great stage act. It's all going to be lost because the only thing that is being looked for at that stage is the voice. The only thing that matters is the voice. Well, we saw in verse 3 there, John uh, refers to the prophecy of Isaiah and calls himself just a voice. Just a voice. A voice uh, crying in the wilderness. He's not emphasizing what he's done. He's not emphasizing where he's come from. He's not emphasizing all his followers. He's saying, I'm just a voice. Uh, Just a voice uh, to introduce the Lord Jesus, just crying out in the desert. He knows he's less important than his mission. He knows he's less important than his message. He knows he's less important than the Messiah who's coming. He just wants to tell it out. Well, although John the Baptist had quite a unique role, I was thinking, how can I get something from this? How you and I can... I wonder whether you and I are content with what God has asked us to do. Where he's placed us. Where he's put us. I wonder if you, 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 you wish for more recognition for what you do around Hayward Heath Baptist Church. I wonder uh, whether you, could have a, you wish you had a more significant role in some way. Perhaps you wish you had more gifts or things to offer. I wonder if where am I content with just what God has given me and where he's put me. 
I wonder if you hope you wish you had fewer health problems and fewer financial concerns and less hassle in your home life. Just wish it was different, it was different, it was different. It would seem as if the lesson from John the Baptist, he was just happy with what he'd been asked to do and where he'd been put. He was in a desert. He had to eat strange stuff. He had to be very, very bold at the consequence of his life. But he just did what he was asked to do and then got off the stage. You know, God knows all about our challenges, our worries, our concerns, our desires. And he's put us exactly where he's put us for a purpose. He's put us where we are and he's put us as we are. Because ultimately he wants us to be all about Jesus Christ. All about him. It's okay if we're never a bridesmaid. It's okay if uh, we never get to be best man. As long as what's in our lives is Jesus Christ at the center and doing what he's asked us to do. It's okay to play second fiddle in the orchestra or third fiddle or fourth fiddle or fifth fiddle or not be in the orchestra at all. So long as it's all about Jesus and just doing what he's asked us to do where he's put us. Let's move on. We've caught up on the slides. Just quickly, the, the mission. You'll know as well as I know that uh, there's a big gap between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. About 400 years. There's been no written prophecy. There's been no uh, great prophet to come. And as you probably heard me stumble over the names of those seven important people, the Roman Caesar Tiberius and the governor Pontius Pilate and the Tetrarchs, Herod and Philip and Lysanias and the Jewish priests Annas and Caiaphas, all these great important people. But what does God do? He picks someone out from the desert and he gives them this mission. The word of God comes to this man, this strangely dressed man, this strange food But he's got a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he's got a mission for him to do. The angel had said in Luke chapter 1 that uh, John the Baptist would go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And, And in fact, John the Baptist seems a little bit like that Old Testament prophet Elijah, he was similar in the way they dressed. It was similar because the way they ate in the desert. They were similar because they spoke so boldly to the very highest of authority. They were similar because they were against evil and they encouraged people to repent. But John the Baptist has been called not to be Elijah. He's a sort of Elijah, but to be on his own mission. To introduce and prepare people. For the Messiah. And as we read those verses in verses 4 and 6, it's a direct quote from, from Isaiah chapter 40. And John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the prophecy himself. He's the herald. He's the, the forerunner. He's the advance party for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised King. If you read your Old Testament, and some people have tried reading Genesis right the way through to the end, but you get the sense of something's building. Something's coming. God's dealing with people in a way, and he's revealing himself more and more. 
And as you read the lore and you read the history and you read the poetry and you read the prophets, you get this sense of someone's coming, a king's coming, a messiah's coming. And as we open our Luke chapter 3, we, we get this sense of he's really imminent. He's coming very soon. And John the Baptist's whole mission is to point people to Jesus, introduce people to Jesus, give him uh, the place, present him to Israel and the world. He's describes uh, John the Baptist as, or, or, or the prophecy of somebody sort of mending the roads and uh, making them ready for the arrival of a visiting king. I lived in, in Africa for a while, and whenever there was a visiting president uh, to Zambia, amazingly, the road from the airport to the city got repaired. It didn't get repaired at any other time, but it got re- repaired in order to give a good show because another president of another country uh, was, was coming. That was many years ago. It's in much, much better state now. But John says the same. I'm sort of making the way ready for someone really, really important. Someone you can't miss. And there's a sense in which uh, he's making way for those people's lives who need straightening out, which are twisted in disrepair. He's making a way for those people to meet the Lord Jesus. There's broken people who need to be lifted up, and he's introducing them to Jesus. There's proud people who need to be taken down a peg or two, and he wants to introduce those people to Jesus. His whole mission is to bring this nation back to the Lord their God. So that they could gain forgiveness if they repent. So that they turn around to bring revival to all people that they might experience God's salvation. It is interesting that he does this in the desert. The desert was the place where the um, children of Israel years ago had rebelled against God. They'd gone their own way. They'd made such a mess of it as Uh, We read on in through Moses and uh, Joshua, as we were hearing earlier. It was a place where prophets said that people were when they were far away from God. They were in a spiritual desert. But he sort of reminds them that it was in the desert that uh, God had given them the law. God had uh, renewed the covenant with them. God had gave them sustenance uh, in terms of quail and, and manna. He'd given them guidance. He'd taken care of them. It's in this very desert that John operated. It's in the desert of people's lives that uh, Jesus needs to be introduced to. Well, it's come up already, Mission Impossible. You might think that I, um, I always watch television. I watch very, very little indeed. But for those of you who remember the 1960s, this was a, a TV series called Mission Impossible. I don't know if many of you remember it. It always seemed to begin with a... Uh, 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 the leader, it was either Phelps or, or Briggs, who'd receive a tape describing uh, the next mission. And typically, it would begin, uh, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is XXX, and then good luck. Good luck. And then the tape would um, self-destruct, and then what begins is this most impossible and elaborate spy plot, uh, which nobody could follow. But usually... I think it's almost certainly always the mission uh, wasn't accomplished. As as I move on and think how this might apply, the question that comes up on the next slide is, am I doing what John was doing, which is pointing 
people to Jesus. And it's not a mission impossible. It is a mission possible. It is a mission possible. We may not have the same role as John the Baptist, but the very mission of just pointing people to Jesus is what we've been asked to do. Our words, our, our actions, our, our lives our, should point to Jesus in a very, very positive way as he lives in us. It's not about saying, look at me. Look what I've achieved. Look what I can do. It's about look at Jesus. See what he can do. See how he can help you. How do we respond when people say, well, well how do you live? How do you manage with that crisis in your life? What were you doing on Sunday morning? What do we do? What do we say? Can we just point to Jesus in some way? Point to Jesus as, as to being our Savior, our Lord, our friend, our help? The one who we believe has, has transformed this world and can transform people. How do we help people when people are living uh, in fear or in, in great need? Yes, we want to get down and do some practical things, but we also want to introduce them to Jesus. We want to point them to Jesus. I was speaking to someone yesterday in, in, in our church, a guy in his, his 40s um, who became a, a Christian uh, during lockdown. And, and what he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to my family and... Uh, it's just so obvious. I, I open the Bible. It speaks to me very, very clearly. It sends me in tears somewhat time. And, and people and my family just don't, just don't get it. Sense of, it's just so obvious. Why, just, why not open the Bible? But of course, people just don't do that, do they? We were thinking of this, this verse from Peter, which says this, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect. Maybe there aren't many John the Baptists uh, here this morning who've got that boldness and that servant-heartedness who will give everything, even their lives. But there's something we can do. And being ready and being prepared. Jesus is Lord of our lives being prepared just to give an answer for the hope. We sang it. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And then doing that, obviously, with gentleness and respect. Well, just lastly, I've probably gone on far too long. Just his message uh, is summarized in verse uh, 3. He's proclaiming the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, there's some words that you don't hear very often in Hayward's High Street, do you? Forgiveness and repentance... And of course, those words give many responses, some of anger, that you could be so bold to say that that's necessary, some of amazement that God might do such thing, some of, of angst that, that uh, what do I do next, some of apathy. But here's John, he, this message hasn't changed, it hasn't changed throughout the whole Bible, it's still true today as well. These are words of, of, of good news, as it says down in verse 18. And these are words of salvation, because there's a need of being saved, as uh, we read in verse, uh, verse 3 there. Repentance, this is what people need to do, John preaches, uh, when they come to God. This is a demand to change, to turn around, 
Turn around from what we naturally think, what we naturally would do, what we would naturally value, and line up with God's thinking. Line up with God's words. Line up with God's ways. It means leaving sin behind completely. That's what repentance is, turning around and leaving that sin behind. Because God can't tolerate sin. He can't uh, leave it, as it were, unpunished. It's against his very nature not to demand that sin is left behind completely. This demand is upon everyone, no exceptions. We talked about the religious, the ordinary crowd, the soldiers, uh, the greedy, um, the workers, the politicians. Everyone needs to repent and to change. You see, because John gets people. He gets people's hearts, as some have said many, many times. The heart of the problem for people is the problem of the heart. And, and John gets it. So he speaks straight to the hearts of people, not what's it like on the outside, but straight to the heart of the matter. Well, if repentance is, is what we need to do, and John is preaching what the people need to do, then forgiveness is what God does uh, when people come to him repenting. God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we do deserve, which is punishment for our sins and banishment from his presence. But God is gracious because he does give us what we don't deserve, which is full forgiveness, full pardon of our sins if we'll come to him in repentance. This is the grounds on which we can have relationship with God. This is the gospel message. If we will take him at his word and turn from our sins and receive what he has for us. And this was the same message that uh, John had. And then he follows it up with two things. He, doesn't, he, he follows it up with baptism. Well, I don't need to come to a Baptist church to talk about baptism. I don't think. But it's just, isn't it, that expression of repentance and that change of mind and in a symbolic way in the cleansing of sins. It's the outward sign that something's gone on in the heart, on the inside, and that you want to tell people. It looks forward to the Messiah. I mean, we're looking back, but John the Baptist was looking forward to Jesus' death burial and resurrection. The baptism was just a great sign that something has happened. Something's changed. And then that was the other thing. There is a changed life which John uh, is preaching about. Did you see that? Very, very practical stuff. You religious people, don't say you've got a good spiritual heritage. Don't call yourself sons of Abraham, but act in keeping with that profession of your, your religious faith. There's no room for hypocrisy, no room for insincerity. There's no room for having a shallow spiritual life. It's got to be real. And then he says to the crowds, be generous. Share with what you have, particularly the needy. Your clothes, your food, whatever it might be. But there has to be a change, a changed life because of this message. He says to the tax collectors or, or business leaders, be honest, be fair. Don't rip people off in your dealings with them. It makes a difference in your life how you are a tax collector. He says to the workers or the soldiers perhaps, don't use violence. Don't falsely accuse people. And here's one for the cost of living. Be satisfied with your pay. I'll leave it there. I'll talk to you afterwards about that. But John, I'm sure that message didn't go down well at the time. But irrespective of the details, the fact is, when you come to God in repentance, John is saying, it changes your life. It changes how you behave. It changes what you value. 
It changes how you deal with other people. It changes you at school. It changes you at work. Did you get that sense of urgency also? I mean, I know I speak in a very heightened way, but there's even more urgency here in the passage than me. Did you hear what John was saying? You know, the alternative is God's judgment. The alternative to not repenting and not having a changed life is, is, is his judgment. Did you see the, uh, the sort of no-nonsense farming language that he uses? He says the axe is ready at the root of the tree. And if this, if this tree isn't productive, it's just going to be chopped away and thrown because it's useless. And he says the winnowing fork is in, the, in his hand of, of the Lord Jesus. He's ready to deal with the harvest and he's going to sift the good, the good seed, the grain and store it up. And he's going to get rid of the, the husks and they're just going to be burned. It's farming language of a few farmers here, but I, even I understand it. It's that sense of God will judge, he will discern. There's a sense of urgency. Are you going to respond, a demand to, to act? Time is coming. It's not just farming, obviously. It's the time is coming. When people need to examine their lives and say, has their profession of faith made a difference in their way of life, or is it just a profession? This demand that uh, we take, a, take heed, take action. God's judgment is real. It's uh, indiscriminate. It's unbiased. And it's, it's coming soon. You see, without real repentance, John preaches, there's no forgiveness and there's no salvation from God. And without real repentance, there's only God's just anger on sin and rightful judgment because he can't deal with sin and it's only right that he deals in this way. And that repentance means real life change, uh, not just lip service. We've got Abraham as our father. Well, I've put up the last uh, question. And am I living the changed life that God wants me to? I was thinking about that. You know, God accepts us coming to him just as we are. Just as we are. We don't need to wait until we're better or good enough or another time. He wants us to come now and he accepts us just as we are. But God never leaves us just as we are. He wants to change us. To become more like his son, the Lord Jesus. He's got to work in us. And, and that, is, that is surely what uh, John is also uh, preaching about here. I wonder if you've got a, a great Christian heritage. You could go back in your books and see all the churches that your family and your grandparents went to. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you've had 51 Sundays out of 52 Sundays, either on Zoom or here, and your church attendance is great. Maybe, maybe you're, you're giving to so many good causes, and that's, that's super. But in one sense, neither is your relationship with God ever started on that basis. Uh, but it's, uh, it's fairly useless if you've got all those things, unless there's real change happening in my life, in your life. It all starts with that heartfelt repentance that uh, John has been speaking about. I ask the question, am I a hypocrite? Do I look good on the outside but inside's a bit of a mess and full of contradictions. I wonder, I ask myself, am I generous? I ask myself, really generous with what God has blessed me with. Have I got a heart for the, the people round about me in need? 
I ask myself, because God wants to change those attitudes to become more like his son Jesus. Am I, am I honest and fair-minded in my dealings at school, at college, at work, or where in the home where I've placed it with me? Am I really treating people properly? Am I harsh? Am I self-satisfied, self-centered? Is Jesus changing me on the inside and my attitudes? Because repentance means turning away from sin. But a changed life means becoming more like Jesus. And that's what John, most of John's message was about the difference Jesus, Messiah, will make in their lives. The other wonderful thing, and nearly finished, is a sense that uh, John points forward to Jesus and said, He's coming. And he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He can flood your life uh, with the Holy Spirit. You see, this is not something that we try to do on our own. We don't try to change by effort and by energy and by determination and starting again on a Monday and then on the 1st of January and things like that. We do it with God's help. Those who put their trust in him have the Holy Spirit inside us. And we ask him to help us to become the the sorts of people he wants us to be day by day. We're not on our own. We've got his spirit. Holy Spirit's help to resist temptation, to make change, to keep going on uh, with him. Well, a very quick introduction to John the Baptist as he prepared the way for the Lord Jesus. What a man he was. Had some challenges, but what a man he was. What a mission he had. He knew it was about just pointing people, introducing Jesus. And then his message, the crux of his message is, yes, repent and be baptized. But it means life change, life change. I trust that having been a a Christian for 45 years, I trust God is still changing me. I still trust I've got learner plates on. That there's things I can learn to change, to become more and more like uh, Jesus. Am I content with where God has put me? Am I pointing others to Jesus? Am I living the changed life that God wants me to? I think that that summarizes uh, John the Baptist and makes it very, very relevant uh, for us this morning. Thank you.